Nice to see you all. Nice to be back in the fold after traveling across the entire country. Um, and uh, I have a feeling that uh, there are more testimonies out there. The Lord is, is, uh, is percolating quite a bit. We're going to have a testimony time at the All Church Retreat. Um, and uh, we say at Blue Water that we're in it for the stories that... Nice to see you. Some old timers back. I saw Robbie too. Um, we say at Blue Water that we're in it for the stories. Um, you know, it's the kingdom of God is not something you contemplate. It's something in which you participate. And and uh, if nothing else, we'll all have interesting lives. <laughs> um, and uh, and so God bless you for those who are uh, living the life and collecting the stories, and then God bless you uh, for being willing to share them and to bolster our faith. I, I wonder sometimes if people experience our gatherings the way that I experience our gatherings. To me, I usually come in uh, stretched thin, you know, and then, and then I eat and I nourish where I can, you know, so I just, I ate a lot of faith during the worship time because I felt like there was a particularly large spirit of faith in it uh, this morning. Uh, any mahalos to... Ange and Lauren and the guys for, for throwing down like that. You know, and then, then I just, uh, I'm not really great at joy, so I just kind of borrow from the joy of people around me when they bring it, you know. Sometimes you guys show up Sunday morning, and I got to tell you, you don't bring much joy. And just, and just leave me hanging. And then, and then sometimes, you know, you show up full-heartedly, and I really appreciate that a lot. Uh, thank you so much uh, for it. And then I look around, it's like, well, what are the artists doing? And, and I don't even understand these things yet, but, but I saw like the, the, I don't know, the sea monster one over there on the wall and, and, um, and whatever uh, Erica's uh, doing right there. She started painting the trees and I just had this bubbling in my heart. And it's like, nature is about to, to strike back in a good way, you know? That, like, I thought of that verse, the creation groans, all creation groans, waiting for the revelation of the children of God, and it's like, uh, I had this crazy thought that all the prayer that we're going to do at the upcoming All Church Retreat, I'm going to pray for some people outside, under the tree, on the beach, and um, nature is happy that we're here. And very random, right? Very random, but I'm feeding, is what I'm telling you, uh, and uh, and I hope that, that you are as well. Um, I feel like there was a big spirit of prophecy and revelation in the room this morning. I expect the Lord has already spoken to some of you and will continue to speak. Open up your hearts and your spirits to hear what he has to say for you this morning because you are being fueled up and called out and, um, and, and for some of you called home, I think. Well, Father, I pray that, that whatever you have going on with all of the individuals arrayed here this morning, that they would receive uh, the common blessing of Blue Water Mission, that they would receive the revelation that they need, that they would receive the nourishment that they need. Um, <clears throat> uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, I was gone for a couple weeks. Um, uh, first week out, I, I received news that a friend of mine uh, passed away uh, on the mainland. 
um, uh, he'd uh, aged fellow, and, and he had been struggling with with ill health. Thank you so much. That's just. I needed something hot, so my sister took care of me. Thanks for that. <clears throat> um, I had a had a lovely girlfriend in high school, my high school sweetheart, and one of the best things about hanging out with her was that her family kind of adopted me. I had some uh, stresses in my own household, and so I, I spent a lot of time in her household, and and. Uh, uh, and <laughs> I, I think her dad at first had some misgivings about me, and then decided that I was I was I was worth it. I was okay, and and uh, I, they would, for instance, their family would come uh, every Sunday morning and pick me up and take me to church because I wanted to go to church, but my family did not go, and and it was for various other reasons very difficult for me to to leave my house to go anywhere on Sunday morning, and and so they became kind of that vessel for me, you know, and. And uh, so it was, it was my girlfriend's father, a fellow named David, who passed away. And, uh, and when I knew him, uh, he and his family were at about the same stage that me and my family are right now, right? Because uh, I, I dated his youngest daughter, but he had, was sending um, his kids out, uh, out of the house and off to college or work or whatever like that. And, and, and I realized only in retrospect how much I learned just from being part of their house, right? As, as I go through some of the things with my kids that I saw him go through with his kids. This guy wasn't even like my dad, but he just kind of filled that role in a little ways. I learned dad lessons from him, right? The way that he would converse with his kids, bless his kids, discipline his kids. And as my kids have kind of reached the age at which I knew him, I realized how often I use those lessons. You know what I mean? People that influence you, you don't even realize how much they influence. I, mean, I know that they were very, very important family for me, but just, just realize, uh, realize that. And with his passing, you know, I had time over the last week just to reflect on... on um, it's not just like my relationship with, with his daughter, the, the girl that I dated, which was, was important. I mean, really, well, that was a great relationship. Uh, my relationship with him, but just my relationship with their group. You know? Like their family culture. And how deeply I drank from it. And how much I carried with me over, you know, the three decades since. Um, so, anyway... I was thinking about all of that especially much because the, the main reason I was gone for two is because I was taking my daughter to college and dropping her off all the way on the East Coast, which kind of sucks, um, and getting her sort of ensconced there and, and plugging her and all the things that she was plugging. And, you know, you worry about everything. And, you know, those of you who have gone through that, this is my first kid off to, to college. So, um, and... One of the things you hope for is that your child finds the right community, you know. So we've got friends all over the world, thankfully. So there's one or two families nearby that uh, are close to our family. And so they're nearby in case something goes wrong, you know, in case of... That's very important when you send a kid off to college. 
And then I was there on a Sunday, and it was like, well, what church are we going to go to? You know, and I, I let her choose. And, um, and you just so want your kid to find a really cool faith community, you know, in college. And so uh, we walked into a place um, in downtown Boston. She wanted to go to this one church to check it out. I walked in and shook hands, and, and they, they knew me there. I like read this book that I wrote and, they, and the minister and people were coming up and I was like, this is a bad sign. <laughs> Dang it. I was hoping she could get free from all of that. You know? um, but lovely people, very warm people. And, uh, I don't know if she'll go there or not. Um, uh, we're uh, kind of wrapping up this series that we've been doing on the kingdom of God, which is like Jesus' basic teaching tenet. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is now invading earth, and we get to participate in it and walk in it and minister it to others. And we've been studying about that and meditating on that. And, and all of this sort of leads up to the all-church retreat, which is essentially a kingdom retreat, right? It's a kingdom life retreat, and we're going to really imbibe the order of heaven while we're there and to encounter the Holy Spirit. But another reason we're going there is to encounter kingdom community, uh, which is always more important than I think it is. You know, sometimes I realize it in retrospect. You know, I had a, I had a kingdom family in my life when I was in high school. What a huge difference that made to me. Dropped my kid off at college. Like, oh, I'm just so hopeful. <laughs> that she finds a good kingdom community there. And there are times at Blue Water Mission where we talk about how kingdom community works, you know, and how we pull together, how we gather in, we use the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. But what I want to talk about today is just the fact that kingdom community exists Amen. and that community is a big part of this kingdom life that we are to pursue above all else in this world, yes. right? And hopefully that's been clear in this kingdom series. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus says, and then everything else will be added to you, right? And so if you're not seeking it first, if it's not what your life is primarily about, you've entirely missed the boat. Uh, and that's a pun that will make more sense as, <laughs> as, uh, as we go, because uh, today I'm gonna talk about a story of shipwreck and sailing uh, which, of course, I always love to talk about. Not the shipwrecks. As a sailor, I don't like the shipwrecks. But, so let's start with the warm-up questions. Make sure all focused. Rub your shoulders. Um, you know, crack your hips if you're Colette. And, um, there you go. She's Tahitian. You should be able to do that really well now. We going we, we to see that? Here's your warm-up question. Uh, how, were you, how were you saved? Um, most of you, uh, not all of you, most of you will be Jesus followers. How, how, were you, how were you saved into the kingdom? That's the word that we usually, word, usually use, that word saved. In Greek, it's sozo. It means saved, but it also means healed. It means restored. It means uh, renewed, all sorts of things. It's a, it's a great word. So how, how did you come to know the Lord? How did you enter the kingdom? How were you saved? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about it in a brilliant way. Ready? Go. Those of you who feel like you're kingdom people, by what means did you become kingdom people? All right, one word answers. Shout. 
Sinner's prayer, prayer, good. The answer is always prayer or Jesus. Yes. You were invited. Attract? Really? Cool. Sozo. The ministry Sozo. Our ministry Sozo? Small group leader. God's presence. You're so holy, Vern. God, God just showed up. Yeah. A couple more. Tears. Saved by tears. That is a good story in that. You have to follow up with Steve. Losing everything. You guys are so conceptual. I love it. I'm sorry? Kids. Kids. Yeah. Oddly, needs no unpacking. We understand. We understand. Um, yeah, so I, I asked by what means or by what mechanisms, but I bet you, for most of you, that there was a context involved, and I bet that context involved family or friends or a church or a church group, uh, as, as it may be, that probably the genesis of your story, your entrance, your rebirth into kingdom life, probably involved some form of community. I don't like that word community. It always sounds overly technical to me, but I just can't think of a better word. Uh, fellowship. That's, that's too Christian-y. Uh, so we'll go with uh, community. Uh, for me, uh, I sort of entered in through some babysitters uh, that uh, were taking care of me, kind of rescuing me from a chaotic situation, and then they took me to a church. And then, as many of you know, my um, my young years were very tumultuous, running around the country, hiding from the cops and stuff like that. But wherever I went, there was a place for me to go, which is to say there was a church. And I would end up in these churches, even though nobody in my family went. And, uh, and so communities were a big part of my Genesis story, uh, entering the kingdom. And I'm certainly not alone in that. The kingdom story is largely a story of community vessels. As a community vessel here, as you gathered, you're very important. And it's super vital that we have things like churches, gatherings, whatever you want to call them. Over a decade ago, when we started Blue Water Mission, it was out of an accidental church plant, and we launched there are a few originals. How many of you are like original? You were there. Yeah. Yes, you weren't original. You were just quite small. That was about five and a half feet ago for, for Jeremiah. Um, yeah. um, so what we were doing is that we were a group of friends who were ministering together. We had these cool ministries that we would do. Like we, would, we had this, these supernatural ministries that we would do. We had these justice ministries that we would do. And we were doing what God had called us to do in those arenas. And then we decided that we were going to become like a church. We were going to have like meet on Sunday, you know, Sunday mornings we were trying to do eventually and, and like have a community. And that actually caused a lot of trouble and friction because we, we were a mission, right? And I remember having serious conversations with more than one of the originals in which they said things to me, do we have to be a church though? Can't we just be a mission? Like, you remember some of these conversations? It's like, yes, I'm me, guilty. And I was like, no, I, I think, like, I think, you know, if we're going to support all of these ministries, all of these missions, we probably have to be a, a church, which is to say we have to be a gathering. 
We have to be a community. Otherwise, you know, how do we keep the ball rolling? You know, because communities bring advantages, shared resources, uh, a place to gather in, which is huge, you know. Uh, I look back, I just, then I was like cursing under my breath. And now I look back on that and I laugh because everybody wanted to do cool ministries, but nobody wanted to do a Sunday service. So basically it was just like me and two other people like supporting the whole shebang. Like, yes, you laugh now, don't you? Yeah, you remember like that. Our first all-church retreat uh, was at Camp Kokokahi, uh, Winterside, near where I live now. And me and Jocelyn Sasaki <laughs> set the dang thing up. And then afterwards, we stayed for about six hours, just the two of us, to clean the whole campground, right? As we were like the community people. Everyone else went off to minister. <laughs> Good old Jocelyn. And uh, I take care of kids. You, you were there, but we had very, we had very small children, so you, you got to pass. Um, sometimes I just I say that just to tease people, but also uh, just to make clear that at the heart of it is the community vessel, and that's what sustains and that's what makes a, a path forward. And that's how many of you came in when you think about it. So. God bless the community makers, and God bless the people who realize the value of simply gathering like we're gathering right now. I've come so much to just value things like Sunday. So important, guys. So important, even if you don't have a mind-blowing experience. I've come so much to value things like Ohana groups, right? My Ohana group up here, front and center, representing. Yeah, because um, they know I need help, right? So they're here. You hear me? But like, you don't even have to like the people in your Ohana group. I don't like the people in my Ohana group, but I value them, right? They they serve a great role in life, um, because they're a place, right? Together we're a place, you know. And, and in that place, others can come. In that place, we can draw nourishment. Um, you know, and, and I've come to value things like the all-church retreat. Right? Go to this retreat and really participate and throw in. And it will be worth six months of any other gatherings that you could have. Because it will be intense and it will be potent and stuff will happen. Stuff that will be obvious and stuff you don't even realize happened until three months later. You will learn stuff and you will be changed because there's a great value in, in community. I'm not a big fan of community as a goal. We've been around Christians sometimes, God love them. They're like, you know, the point is to have really healthy, vibrant relationships with one another. Yeah, I don't like you enough for that. Um, and I'm sure you don't like me enough for that. I love healthy, vibrant relationships because, you know, you find the stuff of life in there and I'm, I'm very sarcastic about it, you know. But but I don't, uh, I don't grow by um, obsessing about getting really close with my friends and having super healthy relationships. But if we pursue Jesus together, then, then our friendships develop and we develop a camaraderie that defies worldly expectations. Even if we don't like each other, we end up liking each other. 
we end up loving each other and appreciating each other and honoring each other, and that's signature Jesus. Right? So there's, there's a type of relationship that I think only comes uh, in, in communities that focus on Jesus together and that pursue kingdom together. Um, so right now, as a society, we are emerging from a storm. True that? Um, it is heartbreaking to me how many people, as a result of the storm, have jettisoned community, have let go and struck out on their own in one way, shape, or form. Now, I understand why. It's because when things are very stormy, it's hard to show up and it's hard to hold on and it's hard to bear one, another bur one another's burdens because you have enough of your own. Am I right? Um, and so we're going to talk about that today by reading a story about a storm and a ship in a storm. But I want to read it. I want you all to read it as a story about trying to keep community together. Right? So it's a little weird, a little different. But can, can you do that experiment with me? Uh, and uh, this is, of course, all preparatory to the All Church Retreat coming up uh, because <clears throat> I think we're going to receive a common blessing, which is to say uh, a blessing that we all get to share in uh, as we go. So uh, this is about the last story in the book of Acts, and it's a long story. It's a story of Paul and his crew and a bunch of other people getting shipwrecked uh, as Paul is traveling to Rome, they get shipwrecked on an island called Malta, which is south of Greece, out in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, I, like, I, like this, I like this story for a lot of reasons. Um, Luke is writing this story. Luke is a companion of Paul, and he wrote the book of Acts. He's writing this story in first person. So Paul, the apostle, just kind of appears as a character in the story, not the author of the story. And it's super technical. You could tell that Luke was really fascinated uh, about sailing and boats and stuff like that. He uses words like sea anchors and, and explains how you had to row from the boat and drop an anchor. Like, he really understood it, which is kind of fun for me. So I'm a big sailor. He gets fascinated by the whole process. As a result, we get a lot of symbolism and a lot of points of reflection in the story. So I'm going to read it. It's kind of long, but it's a narrative, so you can probably just kind of listen to me read and kind of imbibe the story. You can also follow along on the big board. We're going to pick it up in Acts 27, uh, verse 9. What's happening here is that Paul, after planting churches all over the world, he goes back to Jerusalem and his own people, the Jews, turn on him because he's been hanging out with those dirty Greeks, those dirty uncircumcised people. And, and they think that he's diluting the Jewish religion when in fact he's just preaching Christ and bringing people into the kingdom of heaven. So he gets taken captive by the Romans, mostly for his own protection. And then his legal troubles kind of deepen, mostly because he's stubborn. And, and after a couple of preliminary trials, he gets shipped off to Rome. So he's going from Jerusalem to Rome, oh well, circuitously, um, to stand trial before Caesar, right? So he's going to like the Supreme Court now. His case is going to the Supreme Court, but he has to take this long sea journey on these trumped up charges. Um, but 
but he knows that he's supposed to appear before Caesar. God has told him, so he's willing to, to be a prisoner, and that he's literally a prisoner uh, on this journey. He's being taken on a prison ship, uh, but it's also a cargo ship and a passenger ship. It's quite a large ship in those days. We find it had 276 passengers on it, so a really big sailboat. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast, uh, after Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So they're into the autumn. Too late, really, to sail across the Mediterranean. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Paul has a prophetic word. If we try to sail right now, we're all going to die. That's discouraging. But the centurion, the Roman uh, military captain, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. They make money when they deliver goods, so they want to sail. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on. We, Luke is using first person. We should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. So they're not going to try to go all the way to Rome. They're going to try to get to a safe harbor. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, meaning a protected anchorage. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had t obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed across the shore of Crete, which is in the eastern Mediterranean. Uh, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. I, and here, Luke's just warming to the narrative. He's using salty terms like Northeaster and stuff like that. Uh, very cool writer. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. Sailors know about this. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboats secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. These ships were built out of wooden planks, and they're getting buffeted in the waves, and what happens is that the planks started to separate, and when the planks started to separate, the water seeped in. So what sailors would do is they would throw ropes around the hull of the boat and then tighten them and squeeze the planks back together. Let's just pause here and make a couple observations. A storm is never just one thing. And that's what makes storms so frustrating. So this storm is about bad weather. But the storm is also about bad judgment. It's also about hubris. It's about having to go along with majority rule instead of going along with wisdom. I mean, there are so many things to be frustrated about in this story if you're a guy like Paul or the people traveling with him or the prisoners going along for the ride. It's just a big mess. And the things about big messes where a bunch of things go wrong is that they're very defeating, right? They feel extra frustrating. You're not just fighting nature. You're fighting the feeling that we shouldn't even be out here. Why didn't you jerks listen to me? Like, who thought that making money was more important than saving lives? And, and I'm here on trumped-up charges to begin with. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And I just make that observation is because that's the sort of snowball frustration that ruins you. 
right? The big things that happen in your life are never just one thing. If it was just one thing, then you wouldn't feel so defeated and so entitled to cop out and to let go. Are you following me? Am I right? That's just how life works. And I just felt like saying it. Um, it's never just one thing. So the disaster was a combination of nature and hubris, pride, whatever. And, uh, and they're all going to die because Paul has prophesied it. And as you see, the sailors are now coming to believe it. Um, and the first thing they do, which is the first thing that any of us do, is that they try to keep it together. That's the first thing all of us do in a crisis, right? They put ropes around the whole thing and they pull it tight and they just try to keep stuff together, right? Uh, but the storm is so complicated uh, that, that that doesn't work. But how many of you, like back in 2019 when everything started going down, you're like, I'm just going to keep it together and we're just going to weather this for a few months. You remember that? It'll be over. It'll be over in a few months what I thought. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. Um, <clears throat> where am I? Uh, as we passed the Lord, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day we began to throw the cargo overboard. That was their next step. On the third day, they throw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Tackle means all the ropes and pulleys and things that you use to control the ship, and to control the sails. So they had gone to sea due to the cargo. Now they've abandoned it, right? So think of that as like, well, I had these dreams. I had these plans. Nope. <laughs> We're letting go in order to survive. So that's the first thing. They lighten their load. I know a lot of you have lightened your load in life. Uh, in order to survive the storms that you have endured the past three years. I know some of you have really had to do that a lot, oftentimes against your will, right? Somebody say amen. Amen. Uh, and then the next thing they do is that they give up control. They throw away the tackle, the ropes, everything that you would use to sail. Now they're just being carried along by the currents of the world. How many of you have felt like that over the last few years? It's like, I can't control anything anymore. I can't, can't go to work, I can't go to school, I can't see my friends, I can't see my family. I just like, what the heck? I'm a leaf on the, on the rapids, you know? Uh, so that's going on. And uh, <clears throat> when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved, right? So first they tried to keep it together and then they gave up everything that they were working for and then they kind of sacrificed their ability to control anything and now the thing that they give up is hope, which is a survival tactic, by the way, right? Because hope is stressful, right? You guys are here, so you're probably particularly good at holding on to hope but I know many of you, like me, have been tempted to just sacrifice it. And there may be areas in your life right now where you're tempted to jettison hope because it's painful, right? Because hope can be disappointed. Hope is heavy. It's also buoyant. 
but, but it seems cumbersome and awkward. Right? So there's a temptation to give up hope when you're really stressed and feel out of control. Right? Right? All right, so we see all of that going on here, sort of attacking their vessel, attacking their vessel. After the men had gone a long time without food, see, because when you give up hope and you give up your dreams and you give up your means of control, you just engage in these self-damaging behaviors. You stop eating, right? You just become a lump. How many of you have been tempted to become lumps at some point over the last few years? How many of you know people who have been lumpified? Right? It's, it's a funny word, but I've seen people lose their lives because they became lumpified. I don't know what the original Greek for lumpified is, but, uh, but that's what's going on. Lumpia? Oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're a better scholar than I. Or eat more local kind food, I don't know. Um, so, so they've just given up, right? They've given up. And Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice to not sail from Crete, which is just a terribly encouraging thing for him to say. Yeah, it just goes for the shame. It just goes for the shame. You should have taken my advice and not sailed from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. So he became really popular. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because no one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood before me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must, I, I, love, it. I love it that God had to come and encourage Paul because Paul was a human. Don't be afraid, buddy. You must stand trial before Caesar. Kind of good news. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you because I see things as communities of people and if you're in Paul they're all in even they're they're a bunch of uh, greedy reprobates who should have known better I will save you as a community I've turned this vessel into a vessel of salvation I honor one I honor all like it I like that I like that. One Christian is a powerful thing. And a Christian is a powerful thing for anybody around him or her, provided that they appreciate what a community is. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. He has seen this in a vision. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found, I love using words like soundings, uh, and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings and found that it was 90 feet deep. So they're coming up against a coast of some sort. Fearing that we should be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, just the back of the boat. I love it that he's not even defining these things. And prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let down the lifeboat into the sea. Uh, they had secured the lifeboat earlier from the storm. Now they're putting it back in the water. 
pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow, which is to say the front of the boat, which is a very seemingly thing to do, but Paul is on to them. You say that you're just rowing out some anchors to make the ship stable, but actually you're going to take the lifeboat and try to escape to shore on your own. They're making a run for it, having figured that we're better alone than we are with the whole group. I mean, why carry the burden of the whole ship when we could just take one little seaworthy vessel and cut through the surf? Is it easier to cut through the surf on a little canoe or on a big outrigger? Right, so they're, they're saving themselves, every man for himself. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. If we lose them, everyone's lost. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, God, when God sees a community, he sees it as a community right? Um, why do they need to stick together, do you suppose? Why, why would God do it? Like, I mean, presumably Paul is speaking for God here. Like, if these guys get away, then we're all lost. Or maybe it's like, these guys are going to try to get away. They're going to crash on the rocks and die. They're not going to make it. And if they don't make it, none of us make it. You know, it could be that he's saying something. But why? Why would God insist on, on everybody sticking together? in order to be saved. Think about that. Take eight seconds and actually think about it. It's just this, there's this philosophy in the world, right? And this, it, might be, it might be the biggest opposition <laughs> uh, that people go through. Save yourself versus save everyone. And, and I think that a lot of us have had to wrestle with that over the past few years. Do you save yourself or do you save everyone, right? I mean, who gets jettisoned? Who, who, gets, who gets the suffering and who gets the safety, right? And are you really part of the community or is community only good when it's useful to you, you know? And these are things that we've all had to wrestle with. You might have had to wrestle with it thinking about whether you'd come to the altar retreat because your life is complicated. You get the idea, right? But it's like God would say to these guys, the vessel that is killing you right now might actually be the vessel that saves you. The vessel that's killing you might actually be the vessel that saves everyone. So why don't you, why don't you pitch in? You know, what's your vessel? Maybe the vessel is the church. Maybe the vessel is your job. Maybe the vessel is your school. Maybe the vessel is your family. You think your family's killing you, but it might be the way that they all get saved, and so you should stick with it. You know, we all have these community vessels in life, and we're all hard-pressed sometimes to understand their value, to understand their value to us or to understand our value in it as it serves others. Are you following me? Don't let go of the ship, people. Don't let go of the ship. Don't let go of the community. I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's a message that we need to preach to others as well. Those we have lost, those who have gone out on their own in order to save themselves because they were better off on their own, probably not. God love them, right? Life is complicated and we never judge anyone, but probably not. Lifeboats are never as good 
as the big boat. Uh, and I'm thankful for those who understand it. We need those places of community to save people, to invite people in, to carry people forward. I'll just read the, the, the end of the story really quickly. Um, uh, where was I? Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. Come in and eat, people. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. We call this celebration communion, uh, the root word of community. So it's just a lovely acts here in this story. They celebrate community. Uh, then uh, he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When the daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could, soft sand. Cutting loose the anchors, they let them in the sea in the same at the same time, untied the ropes that held the rudders, so they're just they're riding the surf in. When they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground, the bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, not understanding the value of community, I might say. <laughs> right? What they're doing is they're covering their okole. Right, because they're, they're soldiers and they're not supposed to let prisoners escape. But it's like, there's always a reason. There's always a reason uh, to judge someone else and to ruin community. There's always a reason. Um, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, well, one would at that point if you were paying attention, and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to the land, so they're within swimming distance now. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land in safety. Snaps. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. We know exactly where that is. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. They are really cold, no doubt. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. He's serving other people now. Just, well, I'm going to build up the fire for everyone. He's still a servant. And as he put it on a fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from the hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Yeah. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. That's a particularly poisonous viper. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. These are not stable people. These are not stable people. It just goes to show, though, how emotional these events can be. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us all to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. Sometimes people get healed in, in small group meetings, I hear. Um, when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. 
which is a great footnote to the story. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed, right? So it all works out in the end after all of this drama, after all of this needless drama. And I just want to point out the snakebite story for Paul, because he had done everything right. He, had, he was the man on whom the community had been built, right? And he was the most important pillar in this tent. And he's, when he finally gets everybody to shore, he's doing his thing, he's still serving, he's still being a Christian, and then he gets snake bit. For no reason, right? And I can imagine he was mad at the sailors and the owners who had gone to sea against his warnings. But you get bitten by a snake in that, in that context, and what you, the person you get mad at is God at that point. Uh, and I just wanted to say that because then you're tired, right? And then you can get snake bit. You ever been snake bit? Are you snake bit now? A snake bite is like this little thing that rears up out of nowhere and gets you for no reason. It must just be God's not paying attention or God hates you, right? I've got so many snake bites on myself. I've got like a thousand different snake bites and they ruin my day and they can tear me out of community. Paul's like, eh, and goes on with his business and conducts a healing service for the whole island, right? So here is... He just, he just walked through the emotionalism of getting snake bit during his day. Uh, and sometimes it's the snake bites that take us out. Uh, the little things that we didn't see coming that seems like act of, acts of God uh, against us. His resilience um, is really what crafts uh, this story. I talked at the beginning about a common blessing. And, and I just want to leave it there, that what we're in store for at the All Church Retreat is a common blessing, which is a blessing that comes to all of us simply because we stuck together, simply because we are a place where other people can come to receive the common blessing that we have cultivated. And I just want you to believe that, and I want you to understand it. There is tremendous value in what you're doing, just gathering here of a Sunday, and there's tremendous value in what you're doing, gathering on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday nights in Ohana groups. And there is tremendous value in what you are doing in gathering together 200 and however many people at the All Church Retreat because God sees salvation in it. No matter what storms come against you, he sees salvation in it. I've talked too long, uh, but I want to make that point. It's not my fault the worship team went long. So. Can I have the prayer ministry team just come forward and then Vern's just going to pray over the crowd to end us today and this will be our dismissal. Yeah, I got this prayer um, a little over a week ago. Um, so uh, just to give a disclaimer first, like I feel like I was supposed to like knock some things of the enemy like off of the community first and then like a blessing. Um, so I'm going to speak that out over everybody. Go ahead and stand up, guys. This will be yeah. our dismissal. And if you need prayer after the service, these guys will be up here to pray for you. So come up, prayer ministry team. Okay. So I rebuke any curse uh, of witchcraft that has been thrown at us. The organization, the, wow, it's weird, presence of God. Um, wow, over the organization, the leaders, the businesses, the events or the assignments that we have had over the years. I rebuke the attacks to our relationships, to our health and our egos. I declare that God has purposed blue water Lord, to change the world, 
to work miracles, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to blind up the brokenhearted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to impart the gift of the Holy Spirit, to speak the truth, and to be a catalyst for the action that impacts thousands and spreads out to impact millions. We are an incubator of leaders called to change this island and the world, and we will fulfill our assignment. I call back. I call back everyone who is assigned by you to be in partnership here. We will partner with God's purpose, be obedient and dedicated and committed. We will partner with the long work of God and those who came before us, the heavenly host and the angels in the spiritual realms to accomplish the task, to run the good race in the physical and in the spiritual world. God, you have called us up higher and we will not come into agreement with distraction, chaos, division, hopelessness. We will lift our spirits and our minds up to you. Our thoughts, our vision, our perspective will come up higher to meet you. We will not accept the basic worldly view or beliefs anymore. We come up higher and we partner with you, God. And we just declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Come on up if you need prayer for healing or, or breakthrough or some provision or something like that. And for everyone else, I will see you.